things um, I find really interesting is about how certain objects that we have in, in everyday life, how did they come about? How were they invented? If you've been around for a while, you've probably seen a few um, inventions and integrations of um, objects or tools into our everyday life. Are there people here who remember life without mobile phones? Are there people here who remember life without TV? Yeah? Are there people here who remember life without computers? <laughs> what about ballpoint pens? Anyone here remember life without ballpoint pens? <coughs> Before um, ballpoint pens, people used fountain pens. And I, um, when I was in year four, had to use a fountain pen. <laughs> I was eight, nine. If you've ever used one, it's very possible to write beautifully. It's not possible for an eight-year-old to write beautifully with a fountain pen. It's the kind of writing that you use on special um, invitations to events, that kind of thing. But more often than not, you end up with a smudge on your finger where you write. Is that people familiar with that? You get a smudge. And if the ink hasn't dried, like you wipe your arm across the page and the, the ink goes everywhere, <coughs> it's very messy as an eight-year-old. Um, ballpoint pens um, revolutionised the ability to write things down. They used a new kind of ink that dried quickly and didn't leave smudges. Amazing. And the rolling ball of the nib kind of worked with gravity to allow a smooth stream of this ink just for the right amount to come out and then for it to stop when you stopped putting it down. If you've ever used a fountain pen and you're like me and you have a thinking moment and then all of a sudden there's like a pool of... That's why you need a blotting paper. Anyway, <coughs> that's aside. When they um, originally were offered in the marketplace, they were expensive, ballpoint pens. I think now they're probably about, I don't know, 10 cents, something like that. Um, in, I think, the 1930s when they came out, in $2020, it would have been the equivalent of $180 for a ballpoint pen. <coughs> ballpoint pens were better. They were better for lots of options. But it took a while before fountain pens were phased out and people took hold of this new and better option. We've been in a series here at Northern over the last few weeks that we have titled Better, looking at the book of Hebrews. And that word better appears in Hebrews here more than the rest of the New Testament combined. Again and again, the writer of this letter wants to tell their readers or their listeners that Jesus has brought in the better. So before we go any further, let's just pray together. Lord God, we pray that as we come to your word, you would speak to each one of us. Help us to hear your voice. Do you hear how you are speaking to each one of us? Lord, may you challenge us. May you draw us close. May you encourage us. May you comfort us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So in this series so far, um, if you have been following with us, we've explored the writer's description of Jesus as a better revelation, as a better priest, bringing a better hope. And this morning we come to these words that we find in chapter 8 in Hebrews that go like this. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates a far better covenant with God, based on better promises. So we're, this morning we're looking at a better covenant with better promises. 
So there's been this building case through chapters 5 to 7 of Hebrews, if you're reading through at home, um, and all the elements of being a priest and the role of the priesthood that Jesus um, kind of superseded when he came. And here, the kind of crowning reason why Jesus is a better priest is that he mediates, we're going to come back to that, he mediates a better covenant with better promises. And then this kind of launches into the next part of the letter that focuses on the covenant. It goes like this, I'm going to read it to you. So picking up from verse 7. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a new covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbours, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. That last chunk sound really familiar? Was what Mary just read out for us. The writer of Hebrews pulls this great chunk from Jeremiah 31. And what the writer is doing is signalling that the new covenant was flagged by Jeremiah, promised all these years ago. This isn't a, a surprise covenant. It's not like a, oh, by the way, surprise new covenant. It's been coming. It's been, been planned. And that covenant that Jeremiah spoke about all those years ago has now come into effect through Jesus. And this covenant is better. Before we go any further, I think it's important that we understand what a covenant is. We'll just take a, a speed version of what a covenant is. So the Hebrew people who received this letter would have been familiar with the concept of covenants and the history between God and the people and what it meant to mediate, there's that word again, a covenant. But maybe um, we're not so familiar with that. So here's the speed version. A covenant is a relational agreement. And in the ancient Near East, uh, they used them between tribes or countries to establish a kind of treaty or they existed between rulers and their subjects to guide the relationship. Covenants outlined the responsibilities of each party and the consequences if the, if the covenant was breached. So when God initiates covenants with the people of Israel, he took something they were familiar with and he helped them to connect. He used it to connect with them. There are a number of covenants in the Bible, but the one that is in focus for this passage is the covenant that God initiated with Moses, with the people through Moses. So if you're not familiar with that story, God acts to secure the release of the Israelite people from slavery in Egypt and brings them out through the Red Sea. And they come to a place in the desert and Moses goes to God on behalf of the people and God sets out the covenant relationship <coughs> when he meets with Moses on a mountain and he provides the Ten Commandments. Moses is the mediator of this covenant. Moses brings God's intention and his side of the covenant to the people. And then the people consent and agree and Moses acts as their intercessor, which is back the other way, representing the people to God. Um, 
the people, the Hebrew people were the initial recipients of this letter, would have been kind of familiar with this relationship. Um, so when the writer says that Jesus mediates a better covenant, we've now got a new better covenant, what about it is better? The first point that um, the writer makes is that there's something faulty about the old one. God initiated that first one. Do we think that he made the covenant faulty? Did God mess it up? No, I don't think so. (laughs) The covenant wasn't the issue. The people were. So in verse 8, we see that God found fault with the people. Though the people committed themselves, their hearts and minds strongly desired to be in relationship with God, they continuously got off track. The purpose of the covenant was to keep the the people in relationship with God. The covenant itself wasn't faulty, but the people were. The law wasn't all that people needed in order to experience a relationship with God. We know that, right? Following rules doesn't give you a relationship. When we say that something's better, we often think about improved quality. You know, when they like new and improved toothpaste. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I picked toothpaste. Um, but better can also relate to purpose. So if something, something's better if it achieves a purpose more fully. So this new covenant is better because it will do what the previous covenant couldn't. It will keep the people in a relationship with God. Not only that, it goes further. It will help the people live more fully into that relationship. And so it will do that through three better promises that we find in this reference from Jeremiah. The first one is that the laws of the covenant will be written on the hearts and the minds of the people. That's to say the covenant won't sit outside of people like a documented agreement. It will live in the hearts and minds of people, ingrained in them, kind of like family traditions. If you've grown up in a family, we talked about some of those things, those um, traditions are just in you and you know it's not a written down rule, you kind of know what you're supposed to do. Um, Family traditions are kind of the unwritten and in some cases the unspoken rule. Now, you kind of heard a bit about this earlier, but as a Barlow, I didn't know this beforehand, but Sunday night dinners are the most important dinner. This is the one that you do not miss, and it's roast wherever possible. <laughs> we eat it together, um, and that, that's a thing, and it came, um, came, it's come down through the Barlow <laughs> line, and, um, and it's something that Greg and I still do. And we don't do it because it's a rule. We do it because... We love each other and it's a, it's a great way to spend time together. Within my family, we all call each other on birthdays. So cards are nice, presents are nice, but calling people and having a conversation on your birthday is really important in my family. It's not a rule. You don't get in trouble if you don't do it, but we choose to do it because that's what, it looks, that's what love looks like and that's been ingrained in us growing up. The relationship that exo- exists between God and people is that the law sits in our heart. When we choose to follow Jesus, we let the Holy Spirit into our lives. And the Holy Spirit teaches us to live like Jesus, not to obey rules, but to live as part of God's family because we want to, because we choose to. Uh, David and I were chatting about this this week, and he had a really helpful analogy that I'm now going to share with you. And if you have a problem with it, you can talk to him about it later. (laughs) But I thought it was good. 
So the law, the previous relationship um, with God, was a bit like bumper bowling. The law articulated the things that you needed to do to stay in the lane and it helped you bump you back on track. The Holy Spirit that whom we now have as a result of this new covenant teaches us to bowl straight. If you're bowling straight, the law still matters. The bumpers are still important, but we don't bump into them as often. Do you like it? It's good, right? I think we should make him the team leader. Oh, wait, we did. That's great. <clears throat> this is better because it means that the people are focused on life with God, not trying to avoid all the things that they shouldn't do. This is good news for us because it teaches, it means that we get to live life fully. Here in Northern, we talk about living life well, that that's what we want to do. And doing that involves following Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit teach us and guide us in the ways of the family of God. So the second, um, second better promise that we find in this passage is that people will be able to find and know God personally, that God himself, through Jesus, will be the mediator of this covenant. We've touched on this a, a little bit in this series already, but Jesus being the mediator of the new covenant makes the covenant infinitely better. Our go-between for this covenant, keeping both sides of the agreement and fellowship, is God himself in Jesus. And Jesus is uniquely qualified for this role because he's both fully human and fully God. He's the only one that can meaningfully represent the, the people to God and God to the people. And in doing that, what that means is that people are able to engage with God personally. And this was not possible before. This is a new, better covenant. The third thing is that God will forgive their wickedness and never again recall their sins. Forgiveness was always a part of the covenant, but there was always a cost that needed to be accounted for. David will talk a bit more about that next week when we think about sacrifice. But for today, the promise that is made under the new covenant is that forgiveness will be complete. In the passage from Jeremiah, the, wor the words say, God will never again remember their sins. That word remember in the Hebrew language carries with it the idea of acting on the memory. You don't just remember someone's birthday. You remember and then you do something about it. You call them, you send a card, you make them dinner. So this concept that Jeremiah is talking about isn't that God forgets the sin, it's that God will not recall and act on past sin. When Jesus hangs on the cross and he says it's finished, he means it's finished. Throughout this letter, the writer to the Hebrews is encouraging um, and demonstrating to the listeners that faith in Jesus is better than what they're clinging to. Jesus is the ballpoint pen. Why are you sticking with a fountain pen? We in this room are probably not clinging to an old covenant. We probably aren't clinging to the laws that, articulate, that are articulated in the Old Testament. But there are some things that maybe we cling to that get in the way of us embracing Jesus. And I have some questions for us to think about this morning in our um, reflection time, just to prompt our thinking. Do you ever feel like you have a list of things that you need to check off in order to be in a good space with God? You know, come to church, pray, 
give, eat soup. All of those things are good, but are we letting the Holy Spirit train us and guide us so that those things flow from our heart out of love for God? Do you feel like God is off somewhere in the world and that maybe maybe he exists, but he doesn't know you? He couldn't possibly know what you're going through. God offers you a personal relationship where he knows you and you know him. Do you feel like sometimes even though you've asked for forgiveness, there must be some more things that you need to do to make it right? There is nothing more you need to do. If you're in that place this morning, I need you to hear that. You are forgiven. Jesus completed that work on the cross. It cost him his life. And it means that now you get to live your life fully. How amazing is that? It's a better covenant, a better promise. I'm going to take some time. I'm going to leave those um, questions up there. I'm going to take some time. Before we do that, I might just pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have brought in the better. We give you praise that we are able to come to you directly. That you teach us, that you train us through the Holy Spirit to be people who will bowl straight. God, we ask that as we come to know you more and more, we let you into our lives, we would let you know us. And Lord, we pray that we would know deep in our hearts that you have carried the cost for us, that we are forgiven. Lord, speak to us now as we take time just to spend time with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.